is burning. Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Olivia. I'm Elise. It's been so long. <laughs> it has been. That felt weird. <laughs> it did. I like need to like dust the literal dust off of my microphone because it's been so long since we've recorded. I'm like, we're a little dusty today, but you know what? We're here and I'm excited. It's our 50th episode. Yeah. Our 50th full length episode anyway. Yeah. Which is exciting. I feel like that was a sign of my like letting go of some perfectionism that I didn't even notice that we ended on the 49th episode. I know. But it didn't bother me at all, which is very <laughs> yeah, unlike we're like, It's fine. But you know what? It, it was good. I'm glad we we had the extra time. Yeah. It was nice to take like an extended break. And I feel like also I missed it a lot. But at the same time, like it's good to take an extended break and like especially having it overlap with like the holidays and school and work. I realized mm-hmm. how much like I don't know, just how burned out I got again last year. And so like how even just having a couple days to recover is not the same as like having a couple of weeks that are like you just kind of remember who you are again and like get out of your routine and whatever. Yeah. So it was nice. But then I I missed Worlds Burning. And also I realized how much I was referring back to stories that we've talked about. Like, yeah, yeah. our, Our milk episode always comes up. I don't know why. Like long culture, all of those things. And so I was like, mm-hmm. dang, I, I'm like misremembering all of these stories. We need to start doing it again so I can like have some fresh info. Have new ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun. It, 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 it's stuff that comes up all the time, which is fun because I feel like part of the reason that we wanted to do this podcast was to like give people like stories and things that they could latch onto and like mm-hmm. bring into conversation that involves like the climate crisis without being like actually we're gonna die mm-hmm. um you could be like actually there's this like really interesting thing about grass and like what the heck yeah why do we even have it it doesn't make any sense and like you're not bringing the conversation down mm-hmm. yeah it's not so paralyzing maybe i'm just annoying still but it's fine it's whatever no it's great okay so today it's Do we have a theme? I was like, I'm going to come back strong. Last year, I came back very strong because I used like a long form New York Times article. Today is a little bit more meandering, talking about like shipping and different, I don't know, the way that our like infrastructure is, which is just kind of insane. But then you're going to talk about the Hindenburg and Zeppelins, which I'm excited about. So coming in with a bang. LOL. I have this like low key. I don't I don't even know that much about them, but I just have this obsession. Like I have like a childlike obsession like kids have with trains because like obviously we are big train stands here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have this like fixation on blimps and airships just because I think that they're so interesting and so old timey yet they still feel so futuristic at the same time like there's that like retro futurism about them mm-hmm. that I just like I'm so obsessed with and is so inspiring to me so I'm really excited to talk about it I definitely went on a deep dive over like the first wave quarantine of airships and like I talked about them a lot with land and we were just like why don't we have them <laughs> um so I'm I, it's been on my mind for like the last almost two years and like I'm excited to talk about them. So should I just jump right into Yeah, I'm excited everything? because I feel like I felt the same way about blimps when I was growing up, but I can only remember them like in connection with baseball games and like always mm-hmm. being in the background. I literally had to look up Goodyear 
before this to yeah. be like, what mm-hmm. actually is Goodyear? And it's like a rubber, the tire company, which makes sense. But yeah. I forgot what they even did or like what the Goodyear blimp the does. Blimp thing. Yeah. Yeah. So before before we jump into that, my sources are NASA, Wired, The History Press, Airships.net, Britannica, ForeignPolicy.com, Smithsonian Magazine, TechCrunch, Science Focus, BBC, IEEE, and Wikipedia. Um, also, just nothing to do with my sources, but quick disclaimer, I am trying to recover from a cold, so if my voice does something really weird, it's not my fault. It's just puberty. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, just starting puberty now, guys. But, but yeah, so dirigibles, zeppelins, airships, I love them. Uh, as you kind of mentioned, really the only connection we have in like our modern times with airships is the Goodyear blimps, which blimps don't have like a structure inside the balloon, like their, you know, huge passenger carrying predecessors, um, which those are generally called zeppelins, airships, dirigibles. Dirigible is just basically a big steerable balloon. I've never heard that word before. Was wondering. I don't it sounds right. It's 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 so cool. They're like dirigible. Like I don't know. <laughs> I, I just I love it. So dirigibles, steerable balloons. You learn something new every day. <laughs> so people started experimenting with airships in the late 18th century, but they didn't really become a viable means of transportation for about a hundred years. Um, in 1900. Ferdinand Graf von Zeppelin, which his name is is spelled Ferdinand, comma, Graf von Zeppelin, which I don't know if that's, I don't know what that's about, but mm. I just think it's interesting to have a comma in your middle, the middle of your name. Yeah. Dramatic pause. Ferdinand yeah. Graf von Zeppelin. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just interesting fun fact there. So he launched the first model of his airship called the LZ-1, and he was later commissioned to make a fleet of airships for the German government. After him, you know, Graf von Zeppelin, these ships became called Zeppelins. The ships were used during World War I, and they didn't actually do a ton of damage with bombs. Um, This was kind of all experimentation with, like, air bombing warfare. So, like, it wasn't an exact science, and Zeppelins flew pretty high, so they kind of were just guessing. So, didn't do a ton of damage, but they were terrifying. I guess they scared the absolute shit out of the British, mm-hmm. which makes sense because they're these like they're huge. They're the size of like a, a boat in the sky, looming. They're slow and just like omnipresent. Yeah. So just. Very, very terrifying and demoralizing. So they were almost more just like psychological warfare than like actual physical warfare, which is just, just like creepy, like haunting along. Yeah, it was just like this, like you couldn't forget while this thing was over you that like you were under threat. Weird. So in addition to just being scary as hell, the Zeppelins were also really good for locating the position of submarines because from ships... Submarines were pretty much invisible, but once you got up in the sky, they were pretty easy to spot. So that was like another way that they were used in warfare. But after the war, people started to look to dirigibles for civilian transportation, which brings me around to the main reason why Zeppelins quickly fell out of fashion. 
1936, an airship called the Hindenburg began its transatlantic voyages. At the time, it was the fastest way to get across the ocean. The boat, the Queen Mary, could make it across the Atlantic Ocean in five days, but the Hindenburg's fastest transatlantic flight was 43 hours, so less than two days. It maybe wasn't quite as glamorous as certain ships, like the cabins on board were pretty minimalist, but again, cut the time in less than half. And even though the cabins may have been a little bit more bare bones, if you got seasick, that was not a problem on an airship. So people were just generally a lot more comfortable. So Hmm. lots of perks. The Hindenburg made 62 successful flights, including 10 round trips between Germany and the United States and seven trips between Germany and Brazil before its last fateful trip to Lakehurst, New Jersey. Due to some wind issues, the Hindenburg was a little late getting to the States, but it was still a really impressive ship, which is why it drew so much attention as it flew over Manhattan on its way to New Jersey. The ship was 808 feet long, making it comparable in size to the Titanic. So just you could picture something that big, a huge ship like floating above a city. Mm. I imagine that, you know, if it wasn't there to drop bombs on you from your enemy, the same tear that you might feel in that first scenario, like if it was just flying overhead, it might invoke like the same level of like, awe and wonder and inspiration like it's just this huge thing yeah and again this is like the 1930s so just to think of that that like sight just like kind of blows my mind yeah especially if you weren't really used to airplanes flying over all the time and it it flies lower than an airplane right significantly I think so yeah like I'll post some pictures on social media like it's pretty visible floating over New York Hmm. it doesn't look like it's flying through the buildings but like It's pretty low. I'm honestly not entirely sure of the altitude. Yeah. But also it was kind of like getting pretty close to its destination. So I imagine it was like kind of on its descent. And there's actually footage. I might see if I can like download that from YouTube of it flying over New York. That's crazy. Very cool. And again, huge. Like it is the size of the Titanic in that sky. Um, Like I just I can't even imagine. But The exterior of the ship was painted a silvery color, which I can also imagine would add to just like it's like shimmering kind of like this silvery thing in the sky. Mm -hmm. And the tails actually had Nazi swastikas painted on them, which I did not realize because most of the pictures I've seen not included the tail. Hmm. So that was just something that I just didn't realize. Wait, so it was a German plane Mm -hmm. or whatever, Zeppelin? Yeah, Zeppelin. So I had swastikas on it. So that's obviously a bummer. But yeah, didn't realize because, spoiler alert, <laughs> most of the photos of the Hindenburg that are very famous do not include the tail at all. Hmm. But around 7 p.m. on May 6, 1937, the Hindenburg approached its mooring station. It dropped a bunch of water ballast out of the back of the ship, making sure that the ship was even. So basically dropping weight so it could be like balanced and flat as it approached the mooring station and that wasn't enough so they sent six men forward to the front of the ship to hopefully try to even it out um so like there's something going on there i don't really know what it is but like they needed to do a lot to get the ship to even out 
And then because it was a bit stormy, the ship had to circle around Mooring Station several times, just kind of like, you know, in a plane as you're waiting to land, like if other planes are in the way or like maybe the weather isn't that great, like you might take some circles, kind of same situation. Hmm. So they had to make a bunch of really sharp turns. And there are like a million different eyewitness accounts of like how everything went down. But it seems like there's a consensus that people noticed a slight ruffling in the outer layer of the uh, top back of the ship. And then very shortly after that, the tail erupted in flames, which quickly traveled up the body of the ship. And this caused the nose to shoot up straight in the air and then crash back down as onlookers watched an absolute horror and news reporter Herb Morrison recorded his famous reaction to the tragedy, exclaiming, oh, the humanity. Wow. It's estimated. Yeah. Uh, which it's uh, the the audio of Herb Morrison, if you haven't heard it in its entirety, um, is just like really terrible to hear as he watches this. It's estimated that within 32 to 37 seconds of that first flame appearing, the once mighty Hindenburg was nothing but ash and twisted metal skeleton on the ground. So this happened incredibly quickly, which if you watch footage of the disaster, it seems like live like living through this and surviving would be like absolutely impossible, mm-hmm. which is I kind of always assumed that it was like just no one lived because it just was fire explosion. Yeah. R.I.P. to everyone. But it turns out that actually 62 of the 97 people aboard lived, which is so shocking to me, but like so awesome too. I'm like, wow, I did not realize that. Mm -hmm. So like still like more than 30 people died, but like over two thirds survived. And did they have to jump out or was it low enough? Like what was the situation? Yeah, they pretty much had to jump out. Wow. It turns out that you are much more likely to survive a hydrogen fire than you are to survive like a gasoline fire or a lot of other fires because as the hydrogen burns, it rises. Like it doesn't explode out. It just escapes up. Hmm. So while the hydrogen burning created this absolutely devastating visual effect that is captured on cameras and like was so terrifying to everyone around, because the fire went up like hundreds of feet in the air. Like it looked absolutely horrifying. But as that fire was going up, people were able to escape out from underneath and run away um, without coming in. Con- like people were burned. Yes, absolutely. And again, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. But they were able to escape out the bottom. So in terms of fires, hydrogen fires are are one of the more survivable ones, even though they are like visually really scary yeah wow so there are a couple of incredible survival stories from the crash um which i figured i'd share because again i was under the impression that like literally everyone died yeah so first warner franz who was a 14 year old cabin boy he lived to tell the tale of the crash um and he was obviously like when this started happening he was in shock like things were going up in flames around him he was terrified and frozen But then a water tank burst overhead and put out the flames around him and then like splashed him and like jolted him into action. And he was able to jump out of the ship before the nose rebounded. Like I mentioned before, like 
the nose of the ship like basically shot directly up in the air, like Mm. kind of went down and then shot back up. So he was able to jump out before the nose went up and he was able to run away completely unharmed. Run away? Mm-hmm. What? That, wait, that's insane yeah. to me. He just like ran out from it. But like how far down? I mean, it just, that's what's unbelievable to me is that they could like have, make that split second decision to jump out and then survive that and enough yeah. to run away. What? Yeah. But yeah, like if you watch, like it is, it truly, it goes like up and then it goes down. And like, I, I don't think there was very much like outward flame. Like, it mm. all went up and back down. So, if you were able to jump clear, like, you could run away and be okay. Mm. Which is just, like, okay, cool. But, yeah, like, I did not think that that would be possible. And it's also, like, a crazy, I guess because it was still so new is why someone was filming just, like, its descent. Because otherwise, yeah. it happened that fast. Like, it's so crazy to me that there's footage of that in the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were like six news cameras there and a lot of people were there with cameras. Mm. Um, So a lot of photos are just like amateur people like capturing that. Wow. So uh, Werner Franz, he was the last surviving crew member when he died in 2014. So he was around for a long time. So another young boy named Werner G. Donor who was eight years old at the time of the accident, survived because his mother pushed him and his brother out of the airship and then jumped after them. The three of them survived, but unfortunately his dad and sisters didn't. Again, there were like over 30 casualties. Mm. But Werner lived to be the last surviving passenger and passed in 2019. So again, another person who lived quite a long life after. And also apparently like... People named Werner had really good luck surviving air crash, <laughs> airship crashes. Like it is, it's like a little bit weird. I'm assuming like Werner was like a really popular name in Germany for yeah. kids at the time, <laughs> but kind of weird that the last surviving crew member and the last surviving passenger of the Hindenburg crash were both named Werner. Just. Weird coincidences. I don't know. And this, I mean, this is a completely separate event, but you know that Werner Herzog, the famous documentary director, was mm. supposed to be on the flight that crashed um, that Juliana Kopke was on. Okay. The woman that, like, her parents were both anthrop- anthropologists, and then she, like, made her way out of the jungle mm-hmm. on her own. Like, I forget how long she survived, but it's, like, an amazing survival story. But okay. Werner Herzog ended up making a um, documentary, like, a film about her later, and he was supposed to be on that flight back to Germany. Okay. And ended up, like, having, I think he missed the flight, like, by completely different, just, like, chance circumstances. Yeah. Anyways, completely unrelated decades later, but. <laughs> I guess you'd say it, Werner, not. Werner like an asshole like I've been saying it this whole time oh no I don't I didn't mean to correct no, you it's, but <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely Werner and I just like well Werners and Werners Werners and Werners are good <laughs> at either by happenstance or just like great timing or just yeah. like moms that were on top of their shit like survive air tragedies I don't know if it passes the scientific method but hey I mean we have a, at least three so yeah. a decent sample size. 
Airtight. Um, <laughs> so maybe my favorite survival story is that there was a vaudeville comic acrobat aboard the ship named Joseph Spa, and he was filming the landing of the ship like from on board. Shut up. Yeah, when things started to go bad, he took his camera, used it to smash out the window, and then he dangled out of it. And because he was an acrobat, he decided to jump when the ship was about 20 feet above the ground and like do a little tuck and roll. And he 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 like fucked up his ankle pretty bad. But um <laughs> Yeah, not, not a like, big deal. Yeah, 20 feet. But like that was it. That was the only injury. He like messed up his ankle. And then one of the crew members like scooped him up and ran. Cause I guess he was pretty tiny. He just, yeah, acrobated his way right out of the Hindenburg crash. Jumping from 20 feet, like that's I've I feel like I've I've jumped like 10 feet or 15 feet into water. And like that mm-hmm. was scary. Yeah. But jumping like 20 feet from a burning airship. Like what? But yeah. All that to say, a surprising amount of people escaped the fiery Hindenburg tragedy. And so now, obviously, people survived. Some people died. But like, what was the cause of the crash? So since none of the news cameras were rolling at the start of the fire, it's kind of hard to know exactly how the fire started Mm. there's general agreement that since some people saw that little ripple in the siding that there must have been some sort of hydrogen leak and then probably because of the storm some sort of static electricity built up on the ship and just caused a spark also um they had to make some tight turns before landing so some people thought oh maybe like one of the steering wires snapped and was like flying around and causing sparks. Something Mm -hmm. caused some sparks. There was a hydrogen leak. Bad combination. Boom. So the severity of the disaster was also very much in part due to the ship being filled with hydrogen instead of helium, which is what it was designed to be filled with. Hmm. I guess there were really strict rules around the export of helium in the U.S. at the time, which is why the Hindenburg was filled with hydrogen. The point being that hydrogen is super, super flammable and and helium is not. The paint on the ship also likely contributed to just how fast the ship burned to a crisp. The paint that gave the Hindenburg its silver color was made from iron oxide and aluminum impregnated cellulose, which Mm. are like very reactive together and highly flammable. So basically it was coated in (laughs) just like flammable, flammable paint. Yeah, the whole thing. And so even if that wasn't necessarily the direct cause of the disaster, it definitely made the ship burn really fast and it gave less time for people to go to get out of it. So like, let's just say like maybe it was made of some like fire resistant paint or something like that like maybe instead of like 35 ish seconds for people to get out it would have given them like a couple minutes and then like maybe everyone would have gone out it would have been a fiery crash but like nobody died mm-hmm. it was a lot more dangerous to fly on Hindenburg because of that those things where it might not have really been otherwise yeah and that could be easily fixed 
I know there's yeah. a whole helium shortage and stuff, but it seems like there would be mm-hmm. a combination that would be much safer. We'll get to that. So there were also a lot of theories at the time that the disaster was a result of sabotage. Uh, and none of those claims were ever really substantiated. But everyone from crew members to the acrobat Joseph I mentioned earlier to some mysterious person just like shooting a gun from the ground. All of those things were entertained. Again, like nothing really points to that being the case. Were the people, you might not know this, but were the people on board like Nazis or Nazi sympathizers? I don't really know. I'm sure some were. I think also some definitely weren't. Like I think there were definitely some crew members, which again, I didn't I didn't get too much into that because I'm like, we can go down a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. But like there definitely were some people that were like anti-Nazi, which is like part of why people thought maybe it was sabotage. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a lot of that going on. So it was all kind of like very tense. And like that whole thing like led, you know, there was a lot of reason why, you know, the ship might have been blown up on purpose. So I think it was probably a mix. And yeah, that definitely led to some wild stories. Yeah. Also, just like in my mind, like it makes sense that maybe the news cameras were more there to like film as people got off the ship or like were only filming certain parts of the descent and whatever. But like it seems a little weird that there's there were six different news cameras there and not a single one of them captured the very start of the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's a little weird to me. So they all must have turned their cameras on really quickly, which is why, again, I didn't realize that the tail had Nazi swastikas on it because like every it film, already burned, like right? the film all starts with the tail already engulfed in flames. Mm. So I, that, that's just like the mind of me, the, like the, the like small little part of my brain that likes to entertain conspiracy theories. I'm like, yeah. why does none of this footage exist from the first like couple I seconds? It could also just be because it takes a long time for it to land and film was really expensive. Exactly, exactly. But so like that's probably the case. But I'm just weird. like, what happened to the footage from the beginning? Like something could have happened in those couple seconds that they're hiding. But again, none of those claims were substantiated. It was really stormy. There's probably a lot of static. So like probably just a tiny spark. Very flammable ship. Bad combo. Like, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And again, there were cameras to capture it. So it was easily shared. Very terrible. But yeah. Um, And again, what's his name? Um, Werner? No, it wasn't. That's a good guess. (laughs) Most of the people. Based on the odds. Most of the people. Uh, Herb Morrison. Uh, The fact that Herb Morrison, like, recorded his, like, famous thing that was, like, incredibly devastating. Mm. People overlaid... Uh, he he was just in a room. It wasn't being broadcast live or anything like that. He was just like record recording because like that was how they did the news at the time. A lot of times they'd like record a, th- a thing ahead of time and then like air on the news the next day. So he was just in a room kind of like talking into the machine being like, oh my God, this is so terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's the worst disaster. Oh my gosh, I was talking to people's like the people I was talking to had friends on that ship. Oh my God. Um, mm-hmm. So that was laid over the video of the crash and people just like were so devastated by it, which completely makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, you know, over 30 deaths, the Hindenburg disaster ultimately ended widespread dirigible use. And Zeppelins were used through the Second uh, World War. But then kind of after that, we've pretty much just had the Goodyear blimp. But 
here is where things get exciting. People are starting to seriously consider bringing back airships. And while they're not widely being considered for passenger travel, they have the ability to cut the emissions of shipping by huge margins. Mike Durham, who is chief technical officer for British company Hybrid Air Vehicles, or HAV, says that three quarters of the carbon reduction almost comes for free. It's helium keeping us up, so we only need fuel from four combustion engines to push us along. Conventional airplanes need fuel uh, need to burn fuel to stay up as well. Additionally, Julian Hunt, who is a researcher at the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis in Austria, says that jet streams flow in a westerly direction with an average wind speed of 165 kilometers per hour. And on these winds, a lighter than air vehicle or vessel could travel around the world in two weeks. I like how when you're trying to get through the coughs, it like sounds like you're really emotional about it. <laughs> Less than two <coughs> weeks. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, sorry people. <laughs> you're doing great. So uh, on these winds, a lighter than air vessel could travel around the world in about two weeks while a ship would take 60 days and the dirigible would require just 4% of the fuel consumed by a ship. Hmm. So like faster, like way faster and also requiring just like the smallest fraction of the energy. So there are huge advantages to using dirigibles when it comes to shipping compared to like shipping things on either planes or boats. And it's cool to see that there is some funding to make this happen. It looks like there's a company called Flying Whales out of Quebec that is getting a lot of support right now. And they're also focusing a lot on like getting things to remote areas as well, mm. which is really cool. But like, honestly, I would love to see this happen. I think it's really cool. The only thing we really do have to worry about is helium, which we're already running out of. It's a, not a renewable resource. And a lot of times its extraction is tied to oil production. So mm. a green a green solution that relies on helium is just really not a green solution, you know? Yeah. But... Helium is not the only way for airships to be airships. We could use hydrogen. And yes, I know it sounds really crazy that I'm like, we should use hydrogen for airships uh, mm -hmm. when I literally just told the story of Hindenburg. Um, but that was almost 100 years ago. Technology has come so far since then. So it might not be as dangerous, especially if dirigibles are primarily used for shipping goods rather than large amounts of people. Mm -hmm. So, like, if, you know, the drivers of those ships, like, had a lot of safety precautions, you know, people wouldn't really be at risk. Right. And again, like, if you had separate, like, like, there are cells of air inside the balloon, so it's not just, like, one big balloon. If something goes wrong with one, it might not go wrong with all the others. Maybe don't paint the ship in flammable paint. That would be really mm -hmm. cool. Um, you know, it can be a lot safer. And also, even just thinking about, like, cargo planes and, like, the risk of plane crashes and stuff, mm -hmm. if it's much more survivable to serve, mm -hmm. like, if you had three people on a, um, I was going to call it a Hindenburg, a Zeppelin that, like, all had equipment and, like, a plan to get off if anything happened, then yeah. it, I could see how it could be safer. Yeah. Yeah. So, there are lots of different options to look into there. 
Um, and then the second solution to get away from helium, and this is basically science fiction at the moment, but NASA is working on the idea of vacuum dirigibles. Hmm. So basically, instead of using a gas lighter than air to, you know, fill the balloon and keep it aloft, they'd use the ultimate thing that it's lighter than air, which is nothing at all. Um, (laughs) uh, So they would need to come up with like a super strong lightweight material to like contain a vacuum. Um, But like that idea is so exciting to me. Because, like, it would require nothing. I mean, obviously, like, probably machines to, like, suck out the air. But after that, it's, like, it's literally running on nothing. And then we're using less fuel. And it's just, like, a whole lot of nothing. And I love that. Like, I love that. It reminds me. (laughs) I got sucked in by these, like, ads for those, um, like, immersive chambers where you like go and lay in like a water chamber mm, for like an hour mm-hmm. and their tagline was experience nothing it's like <laughs> so yes it's like I would honestly I feel like I've been experiencing everything for such a long time mm-hmm. I would like to experience nothing for an hour yeah and so that could be their tagline mm-hmm. I think that's really awesome and I'll include a uh like paper from NASA uh like NASA scientists in my sources for any blimp nerds out there like I, I I skimmed it. Uh, it's about like making some sort of like lightweight lattice material. And there's like so many equations that I would need to like go back to school for physics to understand. Mm-hmm. But like it's really cool. And it's cool to see that people are actually like out there trying to make vacuum blimps. And so um, that wouldn't even have the combustion engine, right? It wouldn't have um, any oil. I'm assuming it would need to have some sort of engine to like push it along. Yeah. Um, or to like steer. Um, I mean, there's a chance that like you could technically maybe use fully like jet stream air for like the, mm. the most of it if you could figure that out. Um, so you could potentially, you know, essentially be sailing. But I don't I don't know enough about wind. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm assuming it would need some energy source, which, again, could be solar, could be renewable uh, I think it would probably be pretty easy. Again, I don't know. So, like, <laughs> no, but people don't get mad at me for saying it'd be easy. But, like, I'm sure you could use a renewable energy source to power the blimps along and get away from gas entirely. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's requiring, like, a fraction of what a plane would. Hopefully, you could use re- renewable energy for that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk about how much, like, not mm-hmm. exactly about that related to blimps, but how the fossil fuel industry funds itself or like keeps itself going Mm -hmm. by shuffling fossil fuel all around the world. So I can get into that if you're ready. The only thing that I would say is like, I think vacuum dirigibles are the future. Let's do it. (laughs) I usually am not one to be like, heck yeah, high tech (laughs) solutions. But like, I think this is really cool. I want to see blimps happen. But also (laughs) just like red flags, like for like Corporate use, surveillance use, military use, like kind of scary. Let's not do that. Let's just use it to like get stuff from one place to another and maybe to like travel because like if we can't build trains, maybe we can ride around in blimps. It'd be really fun. Um, So just like a little like let's not use it to green the military. Everyone be cool about it. Like, like let's not greenwash imperialism with blimps. Yeah. No fascist blimps. Um, Please. <laughs> 
Uh, that's that was the only other other note before. Absolutely, let's get into what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I'm very here for that, and yeah, I have no knowledge of that, but it's a cool thing to think about. Okay, so before I get into my story, which is a little bit, like I said, meandering, but we'll see. I think it connects back to yours a fair bit. My sources were Bill McKibben's newsletter, The Crucial Years, BBC, Geophysical Research Letters, The Independent, Oceana, Yale Climate Connections, Huffington Post, Climate Change News, Fortune, and the shipping industry news site, Splash 247. Mm. So, like I said, I I really wanted to look more into this idea of how the system upholds the system. Like, I feel like that's something that I think about in terms of, like, racial justice and, like, policing in the prison system, like, upholds itself through, like, Mm -hmm. this never-ending cycle. But that also is very true within the fossil fuel industry, just upholding itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And a big place where that happens is within the supply chain, specifically within shipping goods and fossil fuel and everything all over the world. So I'm not going to suggest that I understand the full complexity of supply chain issues. That's been like one of those key phrases on Twitter where I'm like, I need to look into that, but I don't really get it. Mm -hmm. I still don't really get it. I'm not an expert, but that term has definitely been thrown around a lot in the last few years. And how like supply chain issues have been very legitimate or are going to get worse as climate change worsens and mm-hmm. weather becomes more unpredictable and people are displaced and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's also a term that's used as like an excuse by corporations to raise prices or like cover up other business issues that are happening. Um, I'm not really getting into that, but I do want to highlight how fragile our shipping infrastructure is and how it can be impacted by climate change. Um So I kept thinking back on one event in 2021 um, that many people have already forgotten about, which is the Ever Given ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal for six days. Do you Mm -hmm. remember this? Of course. Do you remember specifically when it happened? I feel like, did it happen? I'm also just so mixed up about the events of like the last two years. Like, I swear, time like it feels very Jeremy Baramy. Um mm-hmm. but <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I, I understand. Have you watched The Good Place? Yes, but I guess not Do enough. You, okay. No, I don't remember. Okay. It's how the timeline, like how time works. And it's basically instead of like a circle like a line or a circle, it's like a whole loop loopy loop. And like it it looks <laughs> it happens to look like the name Jeremy Baramy. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh my gosh, you need to. I'll I'll send that video to you because it's it's the best. It's the funniest show, yeah. thing in the show. Honestly, like it, I died <laughs> during that scene. But like the last two years are Jeremy Baron me to me. Like what happened when <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's how I felt. What was two years ago? Was it? Is it feels like like the last two years? It felt like a month and also like fifty years all at once. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I would. If I had, I feel like I remember it coming out around when the first new Taylor Swift album came out. Because I feel like there were <laughs> memes about it that happened at the same time. Folklore? I feel or you mean Fearless? Evermore? Evermore came out in December. And that's just my knowledge. <laughs> I think Folklore came out in like June. Of 2020? Of, of what year? Of 2020. 
2020. And then everyone, this is, this is, I want to say, this is a little off. Piece. I'm so sorry. We could just delete all of this. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's great. But also, I'm like, <laughs> I already said that it would happen in 2021. I just need to tell you because I was surprised it was so okay. recently. It was in end of March of 2021. So okay. Like, a little out. bit. Some people had, the in the US had vaccine access, but like, we we're still very much in like end of winter, all that okay. stuff. All that to say, it basically just like blew up on the internet, especially on Twitter. Uh huh. Um. So basically, if you don't recall the Ever Given, which I realize probably a lot of Evermore jokes, because it was a couple months that's, after. Yeah. So that's why I want to say that there were some memes about that. I'll I, well, I'll find one of those to post because I don't I don't actually remember that. Although I'm sure I saw them. Um. But there were so many memes about this. There were a lot that were like. Well, first of all, let me just explain what happened. If you don't recall, um, the Ever Given is a massive container ship that got blown sideways in harsh winds and got stuck in one of the busiest passageways in the world, the Suez Canal, for a full six days. Um, the blockage was estimated to have cost $9 billion a day and um, caused a backlog of hundreds of ships. There were a lot of ships that ended up going the much longer route around the Cape of Good Hope um, mm -hmm. just to avoid this. But not only did it cause a huge backup of all of these ships, but it also resulted in once the um, container ship was cleared, then all of these ships are arriving at the same time. And it, it messed up the supply chain for like a, a little second there mm -hmm. that all these ships are arriving at the same time that normally would be spaced out over a couple of days. Um, and it just became like a darling of Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so there's these like Taylor Swift ones. There was... Um, another one that I really remember, it's just like the massive hull of the ship. You see like all these photos where there's this massive mm -hmm. hull and then there's this tiny little crane that's trying to like dig a little <laughs> bit of dirt like to try and get it unlodged. And it just like is so tiny and like kind of cute, but like kind of worthless. Yeah, it'd be like my mental health issues and then like self-care, yeah. doing a mask or like yeah, whatever. It'd be like <laughs> the ship is my depression and the crane is going for a walk or like. Mm -hmm. yeah anything it's like all of the trauma that's happening in the world right now um making memes about ever given like that was truly mm -hmm. it got that meta too i related to this tweet from brandy jensen they said after years of bitcoin and reddit and short selling and credit default swaps and a million other things i don't understand it's so refreshing to hear that global commerce is in peril because a big boat got stuck in a canal <laughs> and mm -hmm. i felt like that i just wanted to talk about that because i feel like there was something sort of weirdly comforting about the fact that like the reminder that our infrastructure is so human or like that yeah, it is a system real. created by humans yes because like Again, let's talk about like separating the worker from the means of production, but like not to get all anti-capitalist on you, but like so much of our modern world is just feeling so disconnected from like how something gets to your plate or like to your front doorstep and all of that. And so there's something kind of weirdly, again, I don't know, comforting is the right word, but like yeah, it's just familiar. like a reality check rather than like, yeah, I'm not like beep boop clicking a couple buttons on my computer and then like something shows up at my doorstep that just like it feels like magic mm -hmm. versus like, oh, like I can't order this one thing because, yeah, the front of a ship is stuck in the mud. And like, yes, things actually need to happen physically and things don't get everywhere by magic. It's like actually moving yeah. around. It's actually like this, this ship getting stuck can have like an impact on your life or like your mm -hmm. circle because of how interconnected we are. Um, 
And yeah, so infrastructure as a whole can feel really complex and inaccessible, but then that like inaccessibility sort of allows corporations to abuse the lack of public understanding in order to avoid regulations and change. Um, so something like this happening also kind of reminds people like, oh, hey, yeah, our, even though it was a totally uh, kind of freak error and not anything that was like specifically malicious by any means or intentional by anyone involved, it sort of reminds people, oh, hey, like this is the system that we're all relying on. And like, you know, there were fruits and vegetables on that ship. It had like $775 million worth of goods, mm -hmm. um, including like a bunch of stuff from Ikea. They had Snuggie wearable blankets on there, oh like God. half a million dollars worth of them. Um, yeah, like I said, fruits and vegetables that ended up having to be thrown out because even in six days, they go past their use-by date, technically. Mm -hmm. And there were also just randomly two massive dinosaurs that were on there for a mini golf course in England. Oh, my gosh. Um, which I don't have the same um, feelings towards mini golf as I do towards golf, as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I'm still very – I'm into mini golf, not going to lie. Um, yeah. But I just thought that was funny. Uh -huh. um, so the Ever Given was not an oil tanker, although it was like this just massive size. Um, in 2007, the biggest container ship in the world carried 8,000 containers. Um, the Ever Given carried over 20,000 containers. And there are Damn. some ships around now in the world that are close to 25,000. Um, so just like kind of unimaginably huge in that same way mm. we were talking about the Zeppelin. Yeah. And container ships play a massive role in global trade. So according to Oceana, um, over 90% of world trade is carried across the world's oceans by some 90,000 marine vessels. Um, so more than 3% of global carbon dioxide emissions can be attributed to ocean-going ships. This is an amount that's comparable to major carbon-emitting countries, um, and the industry is growing even more. So if global shipping were a country... It would be the sixth sixth largest producer of greenhouse gas emissions. Only mm. the U.S., China, Russia, India, and Japan emit more carbon dioxide than um, the world's shipping fleet, wow. which is just kind of bananas, especially with how much like international trade is always like very disputed as to who is responsible for different things, like who gets to regulate it, all of that. Mm-hmm. So if you take all of those massive numbers into consideration, it's even crazier to think that nearly 40% of all shipping is just devoted to sending fossil fuels around the world on ships that are run by the dirtiest forms of oil. Like literally there's oil that gets drilled and goes to a refinery and it's refined for like cars and uh, whatever other trucks and stuff like that and then the like dirtiest least refined versions of that are what go to become heavy shipping oil um hmm. that carries all these ships around the world um something else that's interesting i was thinking about when you were talking is that like ships go relatively fast i don't know mm -hmm. compared to the zeppelin like the two weeks versus 60 days is pretty crazy especially because if ships tried to go faster not only is it more dangerous in terms of like potentially running into other ships or hurting wildlife etc but also the faster they go the more fossil fuel they use mm -hmm. um so that even just slowing them down a little bit can can serve a lot of fuel mm -hmm. which is just kind of we should just kind of slow everything down, I feel like. Yeah. Everything's just going too fast. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I was reading, I saw on Twitter also, um, Bill McKibben was talking about the happiest number that he had seen in ages. And he was talking about this 40% number. Um, he said, if you add up all the tonnage, something very close to 40% of all shipping on earth is devoted, um, just devoted to getting oil and coal and gas back and forth across the ocean. He said, here's what people don't get about fossil fuel. It's utterly wasteful. You burn it, then you have to get more and burn it again. Ad, inf ad infinitum. How do you say that? Ad infinitum? Ad infinitum? I think. Ad, inf ad, ad infinitum? Don't know how to say that. Um, that's why Exxon likes the business model so much. You need to buy more every month. Renewable energy, however, is different. Yes, you have to mine some lithium and cobalt to build your solar panel or your wind turbine or your battery. And yes, we have to make sure we do that as humanely and with as much environmental rigor as we can. But once you've built that panel and shipped it off across the ocean to wherever it's needed, that's it. For a quarter century, it stands there and the sun delivers the energy simply by rising across the ocean. It dramatically dematerializes the world. Yeah. That, that idea was so cool. Like that yeah. it dematerializes the world. And just like, obviously, there are a lot of issues like he touches on a little bit with lithium and cobalt mining and like we can't just say oh hey moving to completely solar energy is going to be easy peasy but it mm -hmm. is so much more possible than like yeah we try to make it seem um he goes on to say these kinds of changes are not cost free people who drive oil trucks will need to find other jobs and we should help them make that transition but the bonus, a world where we're not devoting vast parts of the economy to the now make work task of digging up more stuff to burn is something that we think about too rarely. There's also like a lot of possibilities that come with shifting away from fossil fuel transportation. Again, just using 40% of our tra like transportation just to transport these goods. One example I thought was really cool was... Um, like we have these massive tankers that are now used for oil, but in a post fossil fuel world, these tankers could be rehabilitated into what are called wave ships, which are basically just floating power stations in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, so right now, wave energy is generally um, taken very close to shore. Um, but if we had these massive oil tankers rehabilitated, then they could go out in the middle of the ocean where the waves are much more powerful and are going to harness a lot more energy and like basically get all that energy for us and then bring it back to shore. Um, hmm. And also another pro of that is that it's much more profitable to rehabilitate these oil tankers than it is to just strip them apart um, hmm. and like use the steel for other things because mm -hmm. ultimately that's more expensive and more dangerous um, than just trying to like use what we already have. Yeah. Um, and I also just like the term wave ships. I think that's cool. That is really cool. And I'm sure like whoever was, you know, working on that ship before, like those that would like create, if not create new jobs, it would like replace jobs that yeah. exist. Yeah. There was this interesting. Wait, hold on. I want to find something that I didn't put in my notes. Okay, that just reminded me of another Splash 247 shipping industry mm. article that I read. Um, the title was, Can We Be Honest About the Damage We Are All Doing? And so it was this guy that like works for um, a, a well-known Asian ship owner. I don't know which one. Um, obviously, he's a part of this industry who's basically like, can we all agree that we're just like trying to make money and provide for our families and that we're like going to be on the wrong side of history? 
And so he was talking about the possibilities of solar and then he talks about nuclear nuclear energy too, like just other forms of renewable energy mm-hmm. and how those could be remanufactured into ships. But I liked the the last sentence. He said, we all know this change is coming. We can lead it, get rich, and be on the side of the angels, or we can share the fate of the other Rust Belt industries. Simple. Mm. Which, I mean, the reason I didn't initially put this article into, like, my um, story was because he's very much focused on, like, how can we maintain wealth for us and also not have everyone hate us? Um, But he is kind of, like, speaking the language of, you know, if you've made your entire livelihood for your whole life within this industry, you're going to be very defensive of it. So, like, I feel like he's kind of bringing in those people. Mm-hmm. And then he mentioned one more thing that I just thought was crazy. I just have this under weird things that can happen on shipping routes that are made worse by fossil fuels, mm-hmm. which is that they can get struck by lightning. So Ooh. there was a study published by the Journal of Geophysical Research Letters, found, um, which found that Lightning struck nearly twice as often directly above heavily trafficked shipping lanes in the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea than in adjacent areas. Um, Hmm. They suggested that this could be the result of aerosol particles in the ship exhaust um, changing the way that storm clouds form over the ocean, Hmm. which is just like bananas to me. But it makes sense because like it's whatever absorbed by the clouds and then creates lightning. Another thing to think about is that sea level rise and storm surges impact not only ships, but also all low-lying regions and their transportation. So, for example, in New York City, all food passes through Hunts Point Distribution Center, which is supplied by 13,000 trucks that almost all cross over the same bridge, which is the George Washington Mm -hmm. Bridge. And Hunts Point was very narrowly missed by Hurricane Sandy, but it is within the 100-year floodplain. And Mm -hmm. so... Thinking about how more and more of these places are going to be impacted by um, worse storms and sea level rise and like all of the of things that may potentially happen and are currently happening, it mm. makes it even like more important to have other forms of like getting things or also like to be creating more local systems so that we yeah. don't have to worry so much about what's happening on the other side of the world in terms mm-hmm. of like our immediate survival. Yeah. That's pretty much all I have. Yeah, that was so cool. And yeah, just something like with both of our stories, like again, like if if we fully shift away from fossil fuels and can cut 40% of shipping out um, and like with Zeppelins, like if a lot of like ships and planes can be replaced by that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I kept thinking about whales and like how depressing uh it was when we did like when i did like save the whales stuff mm-hmm. um to see all the ships and how like whales can't really even talk to each other because there's so much sound in the ocean and how like whale language has like literally changed because there's so much sound from ships that like it would be so cool if like that noise was decreased like it could be decreased so much like literally by over 50 percent if like both mm-hmm. the things we're talking about were real um, or like did happen were implemented so it's just like wild how much can change yeah and it like I don't know it gives me hope honestly like again it's interesting Mm -hmm. that Bill McKibben was like this is the happiest number I've heard in ages like Mm -hmm. just because it creates so much opportunity Um, 
Yeah. But even like the wave ships and stuff and the the nothing zeppelins, like those are such cool mm-hmm. technologies that are like much less disruptive yeah. and seem like they could actually be scalable if they got to like if they had the chance, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Like, again, like like you said, like it sometimes it is really cool when you identify a really huge problem that does have a solution because like as depressing as it is that it exists as a problem, like it could be undone so quickly. And like so much pro- progress could be made. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that is really cool. It does seem like a happy number. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't have necessarily seen it that way, but I appreciate that he has that perspective. Uh-huh. Yeah. Should we go to the dump? Yeah, let's go to the dump. Oh my God. Two months worth of dump stuff. Oh my God. What's going to happen? <laughs> what is going to happen? Um. So I have one that I think I've mentioned it before. I, Olivia, you told me about this book. And I started reading it ages ago, but I finally finished like within the last couple days. But that is Yellow Bird by Sarah Crane Murdoch mm. um, about like the Bakken oil boom and like all the money and crime and stuff on in, like indigenous lands um, and reservations. And it it it's like I, I'm very fascinated by like journalistic pieces that read as novels Mm -hmm. because like uh, Sarah Crane Murdoch goes into this community and spends like years like I think like eight years like following the story getting to know everyone like befriending everyone in the story and not everyone in the story but like I think it's such a fun story I mean it's it's not really a fun story that's a bad word to describe it compelling Um, maybe compelling and just like fascinating but it it reads like a season of Fargo, the show, hmm. um, like it's it's in and around Fargo. Like it's literally in the same area. It has all of this. Like, I have you seen any any seasons of Fargo or the movie? Like it has I've seen the movie. Okay, it has very much the same uh, element of like every character is flawed in some way, but maybe has redeeming qualities. You know, there's right and wrong, but things are a lot of times a lot more complicated than that. And like the story honestly spans kind of over generations, but um, like like intergenerational trauma is like a huge cornerstone of the book. But it's just so good. And like if you've watched the show Fargo um, and are interested in that kind of story and you're interested in oil and the way crime is tied to oil and just like money corruption indigenous rights it 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 weaves so much together Mm. um dang i want to read it because i i remember like sending the link to you or something like that because i think it had Mm -hmm. something to do with something we were talking about or i don't know yeah well i was talking about fracking and i yeah something that i left out of the fracking episode was the fact that like the man camps that often pop up around fracking and like these big oil booms people like not from the community come Mm -hmm. in and bring all this money a lot of times bring drugs like it they what wherever these quote-unquote man camps pop up there's this huge surge of drug crimes and like sexual assaults murders like all this like it's like so interesting Mm -hmm. that like (laughs) the way oil and the way it is so unsustainably 
like brought into a community like it causes all this crime and death and missing people especially like and again in communities that are already vulnerable to that um it's it's wild but like i left that out of the fracking episode because i was like the earthquakes are enough i can't go into this whole thing and then you mentioned that story and i was like oh my gosh i need to read this and it was it was very good wow yeah i want to read it too um (laughs) unrelated but also starts with yellow have you watched yellow jackets yet i have not i've like Um, barely been watching tv i've been reading a lot I appreciate that about you. <laughs> I feel like I, I read, I'm really like trying to be more intentional about getting back into reading mm-hmm. um, because over, like it's always over the holiday break is when I, I read a lot, but like, mm-hmm. especially being in grad school, I like have gotten out of the habit of, of reading. And also because like, I want to watch as many documentary films as possible. I end up doing that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with that. However, I was in like an editing intensive this last week, which was mm-hmm. like 10 to 7, no, 10 to 5, um, working in a uh, computer program Avid. And because of the pandemic, it was completely remote. So I was doing it on my mm. computer, which is not that old, but old enough that it cannot handle editing software. So basically, mm-hmm. I would spend like four hours in a row just like <laughs> so I would try to put a title on something and my computer would be like, your punishment is that like you're not allowed to use me for the next two hours. So gotcha. it's very frustrating. So I needed like an escapist show and mm-hmm. Yellow Jackets fit the bill. I literally started it on Tuesday and the last episode came out on Sunday and I watched it on Sunday. Um, okay. So it's I think the original pitch was like the teenage girl version of Lord of the Flies. There's also like okay. a lot of um, similarities to the um, Chilean athletic team I always forget what their sport was rugby team um that got stranded in the Alps or not in the yeah Alps, or like that cave in the Andes um well know that they they lived there for like two months um in complete harsh winter conditions okay different thing and then managed to survive um but with not without like a lot of horrible horrible sacrifice so Yellow Jackets is it takes place partially in the 90s and partially in the present day. And Mm -hmm. it's this girls soccer team that's going to their like regional championships and get Mm -hmm. in a plane crash and then end up um, you find out in the first episode that the team was there for 19 months and then a certain portion of them survived. So Mm -hmm. you're like following them in the present day. Christina Ritchie plays this like fantastic kind of like whack job character, but like really she just like nails it um i just think it's so well done it's on it's on showtime i'm bummed that it's not going to be i think they're just starting to write the second season now but it has a very clear arc of like where it's going but it's very eerie the music is really good and um i just love shows that play with two separate timelines yeah yeah that's always really fun because like you see things building and like it doesn't matter if you know okay like you know, this person survived or something like that because, like, it informs them even if you know they survived a terrible attack or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I'd recommend that if anyone is looking for, like, escapist media. It is quite gory, but mm. I'm personally, I'm not there for gore if it's, like, there's no added storyline. Like, yeah, fight scenes and stuff just bore me, but this is not that at all. I think it all very much ties into the uh, like storyline of the show Mm -hmm. um so yeah highly recommend that if you have showtime i i feel like i'm always like 
finding some way to get a free trial through like some streaming platform with, yeah. with stuff like that and then I cancel it. Um, so maybe I'll have to do that. But yeah, I've just been reading a lot. I, I decided I needed to read some fun books because I'm always reading books about like really depressing like oil <laughs> yeah. like crimes and like how it's like uprooted all these lives or like mm-hmm. just like things that are heavy. Yeah. Um, so I've been reading um, the like Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah mm-hmm. J. Mass, which is like fantasy. It's like light, easy to read, but just like very fun. So I've been like just reading all of those, um, which has been fun to just take a break and yeah. read something that's just fun to read, um, easy. Yeah, I feel that. So yeah, I've just, <laughs> I've been reading that at night, which has been nice. And I feel like it's gotten me like, because whenever I watch TV, I'm in- inevitably on my phone. So I feel like it's like given me a big break from my phone. I've just been taking a little bit of a screens break, which I feel yeah. like was very needed. So yeah, me too. Trying to come into the new year, like not doom scrolling <laughs> or just like yeah, not mindlessly scrolling. Um, and uh-huh. it's yeah, it's always a challenge, especially like it'll be easier over the holidays when kind of everyone is a little unplugged. Busy, but then yeah. But then now when like everything is starting to ramp back up, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it's still important to take to have the reduced screen time. Um, yeah. I feel that. I've been doing I've been playing Sudoku on like I, I used to play it a lot on my phone. I still do a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but over the break I was playing it a lot, like in one of those little, I mean, just like paper packets gotcha. and playing it in like the newspaper and stuff. And that's been good too, because like I do like having kind of silly games or like coloring exercises and stuff. But uh-huh. sometimes when I've found apps where I can do that, I used to have this one app on my phone or on my laptop where I could color, but it literally uh-huh. made my screen time go up like crazy bananas amounts. Mm-hmm. So having this sort of mindless stuff or just like easing, soothing stuff like that. I, yeah. I really like. I've been listening to How to Do Nothing um, okay. on audiobook and doing that. But one book that I wanted to recommend that I think I recommended to you a couple weeks ago is called yeah. Warmth by Daniel Sherrill. Which I downloaded immediately. Uh, that, really? that was kind of what got me to finish listening to Yellow Bird as I was like, <gasps> I need to finish this book uh, so I can listen to this. So I, I started it. Really? Okay. Um, I actually, I still haven't finished it because it was, it's sort of one of those books. I mean, first of all, it's not like a quick read. It's um, called Warmth Coming of Age at the End of Our World. And it's written by this actually former New Yorker News and like New York City based um, organizer. His name is Daniel Sherrill, who just like kind of starts writing letters to his unborn child. And it's so beautifully written. And it's one of those books that like, I think handles the emotions of the climate crisis and especially of being like young or a young adult in this time that like Mm -hmm. I truly (laughs) my mom asked me when I was reading at my grandma's house she's like are you reading that for some sort of assignment or something you're underlining like everything in there and I was like no it's just everything I read us I read a passage and I'm like oh this is exactly how I feel so yeah um it's really really well done um highly recommend people to to read that and I also yeah I need to finish it because I've sort of been like saving the last 50 pages yeah because um, yeah it's honestly probably a good one to read I'm I'm just listening to it because yeah I I don't know uh it's easy um but yeah there are so many things and even just like the idea like it's 
it's good to hear someone being honest about like their own climate grief or like how sometimes grief is like or like the idea of being sad you're like I'm so sad about this but you don't actually feel it yeah because you can't like process it or it takes like some piece of other media or something for you to actually be able to like actually feel those emotions yeah um like it's just so interesting to listen to and informative and like I guess your own process of like (laughs) dealing with everything yeah so I I've I'm only like uh, Libro FM says I'm like 13% through. I've, I was listening while like walking my dog and stuff um, and doing dishes. But but yeah, it's it's really cool so far. And I'm excited to listen to more of it. Yeah. Even though it is like gut-wrenching. Like it's, it don't, have your, have your fun book. Have your fun little fantasy yeah. like fairy book to read after. <laughs> Yeah, I was reading that and um. then Ann Patchett was just not like complete fluff, but it's definitely like very, I don't know, she's like a very beautiful writer. And like I was reading her essay book at the same time, which is uh-huh. just like isn't nearly as like politically engaged. She's a fantastic yeah. writer, but like it's just about other things basically. Um, yeah. So that was a good like to go back and forth between them because, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, like you said, the, the performance of emotions and like what you actually mm-hmm. feel versus what you think you should feel and like all of that, I think it's, it's done so well. I've been taking a lot of inspiration from it, honestly, for um, like my own documentary work and like mm-hmm. trying to navigate those sorts of like how you explain those types of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the other thing we should say on here is that we're switching to an every other week. Yeah. For the time being. Who knows how long. Yeah. And maybe we'll have some other episodes in between those episodes. Yeah. If you have any ideas, let us know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just to like make sure every episode is really good. And editing podcasts takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we do all this ourselves. And like, I think it's, I don't know, it's so fun. And like, it's never stopped being fun. But sometimes if it's yeah. like, oh, I have to edit this episode and promote it. And also come up with a new idea and still be like freaky fresh and not lose my voice in the process. Like, yeah, it's it's like, oh, yeah, I need to spend like five days of time. Like it's like full time job between research and editing. If like we switch off editing. But like if it's my editing week and I'm researching, it's like, yeah, this is a full time job on top of everything else. So so we're keeping it fun. We're taking our own advice. We're slowing it down. But not yes. in a bad way. More quality no. and more time for TikTok, which is really what we're here more for. More time for TikTok, uh, yeah. which has been that that's been fun. If you haven't uh, yeah. joined us over on TikTok, uh, I'm excited to have some more conversations over there. We'll kind of be like sharing mini versions of our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a couple, but it's been weird to go like back into the archive rather than do it in real time. Yeah. And maybe elaborating on that, like, again, there's so many little stories, like, like I said, all the crime that comes with, like, fracking, like, I didn't even get into that in Mm -hmm. the episode. So, like, hopefully we could talk about that on TikTok or if you have any things that you're wondering about and you want us to answer it in a three minute TikTok and not on a hour podcast, um, (laughs) follow us and get in in our comments. (laughs) Yeah, at World's Burning. Which is where uh, at World is Burning on TikTok, in case you're wondering. Yeah. 
Oh, that's a good point. Are we are we ready for socials? I don't know if I remember our little spiel. Yeah, I know. I was going to be like, okay, what is it? So definitely. So world is world is burning on TikTok. That's the mm-hmm. only one that we have the full handle on. Then on Instagram, <laughs> it's at world is burning. No G. Follow us there. We'll also be doing stuff there. But again, Twitter. most excited about TikTok. Yeah. World is burning. No G on Instagram and Twitter. And then worldisburning.com is our website where we'll have extended <laughs> show notes. And if you want to read that interesting NASA paper about vacuum blimps, I don't understand, but maybe you do. Mm-hmm. Definitely check that out. Do you know how to make vacuum dirigibles real? Please make that happen. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> it's not World's me. Burning. It's not because I know it. I'm just telling you about it. I do not know how to do that. <laughs> not my skill set. And then worldisburningpod at gmail.com is our email. If you have any story ideas, if you're wondering about something, um, if you've seen some weird high-tech solution, some really cool low-tech solution that you want us to elaborate on, mm-hmm. uh, or you're just like, how the heck do I cope with this? I don't know. Hit us up. <laughs> and we'll see you next Wednesday. Or no, we won't oh. see you next Wednesday. We'll see you the Wednesday after next Wednesday. <laughs> Such a zingy little thing. Okay, match sound. <laughs>